Hello from this side of the internet and welcome to another episode of the Treat Addiction Save Lives podcast. I'm your host, Zach Caruso. I want to thank you for for stopping by and joining me uh, for another great conversation centered around addiction, treatment, and recovery. Uh, I was lucky to have an opportunity recently to sit down and talk with Dr. Lewis Baxter. Uh, And many of you out there in the ASAM community may remember Dr. Baxter as a past president of ASAM, but man, there is a lot more story to tell with Dr. Baxter. And he was gracious enough to uh, open up about his life and his career, including his time providing care to various NFL teams, which actually scored him a couple championship rings, which I got to ask him about during our chat, uh, as well as his own struggles with addiction and his you know, road to recovery and redemption. He's a really inspiring guy to talk to. Um, Dr. Baxter earned his medical doctor degree from the Temple University Lewis Katz School of Medicine. He completed his internship and residency in internal medicine at the Cooper Hospital University Medical Center at the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey and a fellowship in addiction medicine at Portsmouth Psychiatric Hospital in Portsmouth, Virginia. Um, Like I mentioned, he was a substance abuse consultant for the NFL and the NBA. He's contributed to public agencies like uh, the FDA, NIH, and the Office of uh, National Drug Control Policy, just to name a few. And he's also the founder and director of the Addiction Medicine Fellowship at Howard University. Uh, I had a really good time talking with Dr. Baxter. I hope you have as good a time listening to him share his stories and knowledge. So let's dive in. Here is my conversation with Dr. Lewis Baxter. I like to start at the beginning. Um, and I, I want to ask why addiction medicine, like of, of all the fields that you could have pursued of all the, you know, specialties that you could have gone after, what was it in particular about addiction medicine that, uh, spoke to you and, and made you want to kind of go down that road? Well, uh, actually, uh, I, I started out in internal medicine and a lot of my patients, uh, actually had alcohol and, uh, drug addiction and it complicated the, the care for them. Uh, what I uh, found also was that a, a lot of a lot of our uh, methods of of taking care of alcohol withdrawal and uh, opiate withdrawal uh, heroin was a uh, big at the time when I was uh, doing my training in the uh, late 1970s. Uh, it was patchwork. Uh, we didn't have uh, anything uh, written down, or there wasn't any uh, codified uh, protocols. I also must mention that I uh, worked with a uh, physician who used to admit into our hospital uh, recording stars and uh, other uh, uh, people that were uh, famous into our hospital under uh, fake names, as we could uh, do back at that time, and treat them anonymously. And so I got uh, very interested because I was uh, the uh, focal guy that people made referrals to, myself and my uh, uh, partner at the uh, time. And uh, I became quite uh, good at it. And as time went on, in the uh, middle 80s, there was a glut of internists. And you needed to either go back and do a fellowship for another subspecialty like GI or cardiology uh, in order to distinguish yourself. I uh, also had a a number of uh, family members uh, at the time who who were suffering from alcohol and uh, chemical dependencies. And I felt that I had a, a, uh, a niche there. And so that's what initially got me started. 
Gotcha. And you, you touched on it a little bit, but I mean, uh, you've had a, a pretty amazing career. You've worked with and provided care for NFL and NBA athletes. Like you mentioned, musicians, um, you worked with the Eagles through the nineties. We were talking about the Eagles a little bit before we started. Um, that's a really cool and unique path. Can you tell me about some of your memories from that time period and those experiences over those years? Yes. Well, uh, I would tell you that, uh, the, uh, first time that I actually, uh, treated an athlete, uh, was a Philadelphia, uh, uh, Eagle. I was up at a uh, Geisinger and, uh, this individual, uh, had, had an, an automobile accident and he was, uh, in the ICU going through withdrawal. In fact, uh, he had advanced to, uh, delirium tremens. And so I got the uh, consult to uh, come and see him. And that was, uh, one of my, uh, first engagements with, uh, professional athletes. Mm. You have a couple rings too. I know we talked about this before. What's, uh, what's your, tell me a little bit about these rings, how you came about, you know, having some of these Super Bowl rings and which one's your, which one's your favorite? Uh, my favorite one is, uh, the Super Bowl 52, okay. the uh, last one that won. Uh, I have an NFC uh, championship uh, ring from uh, 2004. Uh, once again, I was uh, involved with uh, taking care of a uh, player, and uh, I was able to uh, uh, get a, a, a ring when they uh, won the NFC championship. Uh, likewise, uh, with when they got the uh, Super Bowl uh, championship uh, in 2017, uh, I was similarly engaged, and uh, I actually sent an email and said, hey, remember me? I'm Dr. Baxter so-and-so-and-so, and, -so, and I'd uh, like to uh, purchase a uh, Eagles uh, championship ring. Uh, that was like the next day after the, they uh, won the Super Bowl, and I didn't hear anything uh, at all. So I said, oh, well. I guess that I'm off the, uh, the, uh, list. Um, and I went away, uh, for vacation. I came back in August and, uh, there was a UPS slip for me to come pick this thing up and I picked it up and it was my, uh, ring. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. It has my uh, name on it and is, uh, engraved uh, with my initials on, on the, uh, inside. I have a, another, uh, a Super Bowl ring from, uh, the Denver Broncos. A uh, player that uh, was on that team uh, who has uh, actually come out, so I can say his name. His name is Vance Johnson. He uh, used to uh, uh, play uh, with the three amigos, him, Elway, and uh, Natalie, and had the occasion to uh, take care of him, and he actually gave me uh, one of his rings. Oh, that's amazing. It's such an incredible journey. And, you know, you uh, you have this book that just came out and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But one of the things that you talk about in the book that some people might not know is that you actually dealt with addiction in your own life. Um, and you said you were like 11 years into treating addiction when you yourself started to have your own struggles. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you said you were homeless at one point and you were uh, working, you know, various jobs to kind of get yourself back on your feet. You worked your way back to this thriving medical career. That's an incredible journey. Can you tell me about that experience? What do you remember from that time? Not only, you know, dealing with addiction, but that journey um, from treatment to recovery and then that next chapter of your life. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, it was, uh, 
happened insidiously. Uh, as I mentioned, I was taking care of all of these uh, entertainers, and I was uh, taking care of uh, athletes. And I used to get invited to all of these parties, you know, VIP parties. <clears throat> and so people were, uh, you know, drinking and doing other things. And uh, here I thought that I knew everything about it because I had been treating these folks for uh, years. And I did not uh, have uh, any sense that I was getting into to a trouble. But I started uh, uh, drinking and I started using uh, the uh, various drugs. And uh, before I knew it, uh, I was caught on fire. I was addicted. And uh, the uh, point of the, the matter for me is that I had done a lot of uh, research. I checked in Goodman and Gildman, which was our uh, pharmacy text at the time. And it mentioned that, uh, that cocaine, for instance, was not physically addictive but could be psychological. So I said, well, that won't happen to me because I'm a doctor after mm -hmm. all. Yeah. Uh, but it did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, slowly I, I started getting invited to less uh, parties. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, it caught on fire. And so I lost uh, uh, everything, including my, uh, my family. Uh, when I uh, went into uh, treatment, um, I felt some sort of a relief the, the very first uh, day that I was there. Uh, I laid down to go to sleep, and that was the first restful night's sleep I had had in, in years. Really? Yes. The uh, treatment facility uh, was for healthcare professionals, and uh, we had uh, pharmacists, uh, dentists, nurses, and, and other physicians. And it was a, a long-term uh, treatment facility. I remember when I uh, met the uh, medical director, his name is Bill Farley, who has passed on now. Um, I asked him, well, how long am I going to uh, be here? And that was in April. And he told me, how good are you at trimming Christmas trees? And, <laughs> and uh, needless to say that, that was a shock, but I was in, in treatment for some time. Uh, during uh, the end of my, my uh, treatment, uh, Dr. Farley uh, saw something in me and he developed a uh, mini fellowship for me. They did not have any established fellowship programs at that time. So I continued uh, you know, working there. Uh, they started me out as a, a, a little junior counselor and uh, by the end of my time there, I was actually running groups and uh, doing some uh, uh, intakes and helping with some of the, the uh, treatment plans. But during that time, I uh, really didn't have a place to uh, stay when I first uh, uh, was re released from a uh, treatment. And I stayed at the Econo Lodge for a couple of days or with some other friends for uh, two weeks until finally I, I got uh, hired to teach uh, neuroanatomy. Uh, and I uh, taught that, split the uh, job with a, another recovering uh, doctor friend of mine who, who, who was in treatment. And uh, we got paid uh, $14,000 for the semester. So we rented a, a house and uh, that's how I actually 
know, got back on my, my feet. That's an incredible story. I know you also mentioned too, that it, I don't know if it was during or after that you found out that there was addiction in your family too. Um, and I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, you know, the role that genetics play in addiction and, you know, finding that out for you, you know, what that kind of unlocked for you in terms of your own addiction. Yes. Well, you know, you're actually uh, blinded to uh, what's going on around you. I remember as a uh, child growing up that uh, I had alcoholics on both sides of my family. My uh, father came from a large family. Everybody on his side drank. He drank. Uh, I never uh, actually saw him uh, uh, drunk, but I know that that he used to drink uh, almost daily. And on my mother's side, uh, she came from a large family. And uh, I think it was four out of her five brothers were also uh, alcoholics. But see, they were functional. All these guys went to work and all these guys had families and uh, they seemed to... uh, to uh, manage their uh, lives very well. Now, I did not use any substances uh, uh, during the time that I was growing up, uh, primarily because I was afraid of my mother, and uh, secondarily, uh, I was an athlete. So I didn't uh, uh, drink, I didn't uh, drug, I didn't smoke cigarettes, I didn't do anything until actually I got into uh, medical school. In uh, the uh, 70s, everybody smoked. In fact, when I um, went for my interview to get into a medical school, the first thing that the dean asked me was, cigarette? And I said, no, I don't smoke. I'm an athlete. But shortly thereafter, uh, my uh, roommate uh, smoked uh, cigarettes, and everybody around me was smoking cigarettes. And so we started cigarettes and coffee every day uh, outside before we went to a class. It became a ritual. And so that was my first uh, involvement uh, uh, with substances. Same way with alcohol. I did not uh, have a drink of alcohol until my last uh, couple of weeks in undergraduate. I had finished all of my uh, class work. And so I was out there with everybody else, and so I uh, had a, a drink. I even tried to smoke cigarettes at that time, and uh, it made me sick. So I put it aside, but uh, slowly over time, uh, it, it caught fire. And that's what has given me firsthand knowledge that there are genetic predispositions and some environmental factors that can cause uh, someone to uh, actually ignite and eventually burn in their addiction. Uh, you And I know you use that term ignite and burn because you've said before, it's kind of like there's kindling, right? Explain a little bit about how this works, especially for someone who's predisposed or has that genetic background. Um, what does that, you know, in, in a very general sense, what does that look like from the kindling being there to actually igniting it into a full-blown, you know, substance use disorder addiction? Yes, well... Uh, kindling is is the uh, perfect term for it because many people, including myself, uh, the first time that I used uh, substances, I really didn't feel anything, and that's because that my uh, you know, central nervous system had not uh, activated those those uh, pathways, and so the very first time, or even a couple of times, of of using, uh, people don't 
get the full effect of it. If you continue to to use, then those pathways get get uh, you know woven and they get activated. And the very next time that you expose your uh, brain to uh, these these chemicals, the systems are already set up and they're off and running. The problem is that once that it gets going, it's very difficult to shut them off. You also said before, it just leads into it, that um, addiction is a chronic metal, medical disorder and it needs to be taught as core medical curriculum because that's where it starts. Can you tell me a little bit about um, what you feel could be improved in terms of addiction education and how maybe the medical community can start to make some positive changes in the right direction. You know, everything you've mentioned from the genetic predisposition, the kindling, um, all this kind of stuff, you know, how do you think that that can be integrated a little more into addiction education for some of these medical students that I've heard say numerous times, they don't get exposed to a lot of the addiction medicine side. It's very, it's a very small part of their education. Yes. Well, uh, we've been attempting uh, to uh, do this for uh, years. Uh, back in the 1990s, a, a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Mike Miller and I, uh, were working uh, with uh, then um, uh, Senator Joe Biden to write a bill to introduce addiction as part of the core curriculum for all uh, medical school education and allied health. It looked like it was a good bill, looked like it was going to uh, happen, but as uh, we all have learned that once things get into uh, uh, Congress, uh, 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 they uh, change and sometimes get discarded. But uh, what would need to happen is that uh, we need to uh, insert courses about addiction uh, in our medical and allied health school training that needs to be part of the core curriculum. Uh, some uh, facilities and institutions now have some elective courses that individuals can choose to uh, take, but uh, it does not nearly go far enough. I think that uh, one of the greatest examples we had of, in terms of educating had to uh, do with cigarettes. Uh, back in the late 1980s, there were a lot of PSAs, public service announcements, and they started teaching uh, children in fourth and fifth grade about uh, the, the problems with uh, smoking. And they had children coming home stopping their parents from smoking. And if you look at the uh, literature, uh, that had an effect for another 15 to uh, 20 years. And I submit that if we start that same sort of activity uh, with our children today, uh, when they're in fourth and fifth grade, and perhaps maybe even earlier, that uh, we can uh, make a dent in the uh, desire to uh, even start using uh, alcohol and other drugs. And, you know, speaking about this idea of addiction education, you've you've actually taken some steps um, to to you know, make an, make an impact here because you've started an addiction medicine fellowship at Howard University. And I would love to hear about what inspired you to start that program there and what has that journey been like? Well, uh, I'll tell you, it, it was, uh, I was at an ASAM meeting and a, a fellow ASAM member, uh, Dr. Anthony Campbell, came up to me and said, hey, you know what? I would love to have 
an addiction medicine fellowship program at Howard University. But the only problem was that they did not have anyone uh, there that was certified in any addictions. And so uh, uh, Dr. Campbell introduced me to uh, Dr. Robert Taylor. Uh, he uh, was Dean Emeritus at the time. And uh, uh, we also uh, sat down with Dr. Uh, Denise Scott. And the three of us began uh, you know, planning how to uh, get this started. Uh, we started in uh, April of 2014 and, you know, trying to uh, get uh, things placed in order, you know, getting uh, uh, ACAM involvement. At the time, it was actually ABAM in, in involvement. And then uh, ACAM, uh, we were finally able to uh, get funding and we had our first class in uh, 2020. That's amazing. What um what's that process been like for you? I mean, that's that's a pretty big deal, right? To to be kind of spearheading, creating this this fellowship program. Uh, over the past three years, what's that journey been like for you? Kind of working on that program and, and seeing it grow and having these fellows now part of the program. Well, it's it's been very very gratifying. I can tell you that uh, there were a, a number of uh, of 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 obstacles uh, because, quite frankly, I had taught in. Uh, in academia before, but I had never actually run a uh, actual program. And so uh, we were fortunate that over the, the years, uh, I had uh, made some uh, uh, contacts and I had a lot of allies uh, who were willing to, to help me and the others to accomplish. We uh, had a, a lot of help uh, from the uh, National Institutes, uh, NIAAA, NIDA, SAMHSA, uh, CSAT, all of these uh, organizations I had at one time been part of, of the National Advisory Councils for those uh, uh, agencies. So I met a number of people that were able to, to uh, be helpful. It's incredible. I got to shift gears a little bit. One of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is um, stigma. And I had, uh, I think last time we talked, you, you made this great statement. You said, uh, we have to attack the stigma about having the disease and treating it. I would love to hear what kind of experiences you've had or witnessed, uh, you know, over, over your career um, with stigma surrounding addiction and addiction treatment. And what do you think, in your opinion, can be done to kind of start to dismantle that stigma a little bit and, and stop it from being a barrier for people to not only receive treatment and seek treatment and recovery, but, you know, the physicians treating it as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you that it uh, that stigma first uh, became apparent to me in medicine when I was a third year medical student. Uh, I got called uh, up to a, a patient floor because some patient was having uh, alcohol withdrawal seizure. And the uh, resident and the attending uh, actually said, don't waste too much time on them because they don't get well anyway. Uh, that was the uh, message. So, you know, give them the uh, Valium, give them the, the, uh, the uh, Librium, and uh, that was it. By the time I became a fourth year student, I had learned that I could do all that and also tell them that you need to go to AA. But that was the extent of, of what I uh, learned in my medical school about alcoholism and, uh, and any sort of drug dependency. 
What needs to happen, once again, is education. Uh, we need to uh, educate our uh, uh, practitioners, even uh, uh, when they first become allied health or, or medical uh, students, that it is actually a disease. We have plenty of evidence to bolster that notion. Uh, we need to uh, treat them that it uh, need to teach them that it is a chronic medical illness, just like diabetes and hypertension, and uh, have our caregivers change their attitudes in terms of how they look at patients who who suffer from this disease. Uh, many uh, physicians, uh, when they're doing uh, first-time evaluations, will not ask people anything about alcohol or drug use. And primarily, that's because they fear that asking those questions, uh, number one, that they may be insulting the patient. And if they uh, get an answer, number two, they won't know what to do with it. So I think that uh, part of what we need to uh, uh, do fundamentally is change the concept of how people view addiction. And I think that is also uh, uh, important that, that those of us uh, who have uh, suffered from addiction and are uh, successful in obtaining uh, recovery uh, uncover ourselves so that people know that everybody who has that disease, uh, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, die in it. That, in fact, it is very true. You can get well and become a productive a person in society. Where do you think the stigma comes from? You know, maybe from the medical side, from the physician side, what is it about addiction in particular that causes that kind of stigmatized, you know, thought process or attitude? You know, have you been able over your years to pinpoint what it is that affects people that way and makes them, you know, feel that kind of stigmatized attitude? I, I think it's a, a lack of knowledge. Once again, you know, uh, when the, uh, the buprenorphine became available, uh, we had somewhere around 9,000 uh, physicians take the, uh, the uh, examination and become wavered, but less than a third of them were actually using it. So even though that they had the information, they were still afraid of engaging those patients. And, uh, you know, I've talked with a, a lot of physicians about why they weren't using their uh, waiver. And they told me, well, I don't want them in my office with my regular patients puking and uh, throwing up all over the place. And I uh, did my best to explain to them that uh, people with substance use disorders and alcohol dependence uh, aren't like that uh, in terms of when they're coming to you know, private offices uh, you know, seeking uh, care. I've also got to ask, because uh, you know, a lot of these things that you're talking about are in your new book called I Didn't Know. We're going to make sure our listeners can pick it up. Uh, they can get it on Amazon now. We're going to have it linked in our show notes. But this book that just came out, um, it details your career that has now spanned, tell me if I'm right, about 45 years. That's incredible. It tells the story of your life, your struggles, your achievements. People can read about you know your, your struggle with addiction and, and your treatment and recovery. Um, Tell our listeners a little bit about what was the inspiration behind the book? You know, why, why did you want to tell this story now? And what are, you know, some of the stories and events that you write about in it that really stand out? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you that uh, I never really wanted to, to do this. Uh, 
uh, I never really wanted to to uh, write a book, but uh, my colleagues uh, kept telling me that I needed to to uh, do it. Those that knew that I was in recovery uh, kept uh, they kept badgering me actually uh, that I should do it, and uh, I got convinced that. Uh, if I took this step that I could possibly help other people suffering and also by taking this step that I could possibly help reduce the, the stigma. And so, uh, truthfully, uh, that's the uh, why and the uh, reason that I actually wrote the uh, book. That's incredible. What, um, you know, I know it spans from your childhood to, you know, to, to present, you know, what, um, what can readers expect to learn in this book? You know, I know that there are a lot of things you've talked about, like I said, your addiction and recovery. What can, what can readers learn from this book about the life of Dr. Baxter? You know, what are some of the big takeaways that you would like people to, to get from this book? Well, uh, as we mentioned earlier in our discussion, is that uh, there's a significant amount of uh, childhood trauma that occurs. Uh, when I uh, started elementary school, um, it was, I had a problem stuttering. I used to stutter very badly and I had to wear eyeglasses very, uh, early in, in life. And so, uh, some of the, the kids, you know, how cruel they are. They, they started calling me names and, uh, ridiculed me. Uh, they called me the four eyed stuttering fool. And as you can imagine, as a, uh, six, seven year old, that can uh, breed some uh, insecurity and low self-esteem. So uh, I finally got out of stuttering because I got older and my voice changed, but that went for a long time. And so uh, I also had uh, happened to me uh, the death of my grandfather uh, when I was very young. He used to live down the street from us and I would see him every day and you know, he used to fawn over my brother and I, and then he suddenly died. And uh, that was uh, a traumatic. I, rem I remember I was uh, crying for probably two, three weeks every day, uh, you, know, uh, you know, missing him. So, you know, those are the types of things that, uh, that can happen and also often happens and sets someone up to uh, seek some sort of a relief. Uh, and the funny part about it, especially as I look over, I really had a low uh, self-esteem, but it was actually false because I was actually a good student. Uh, I uh, was a good athlete. I could uh, sing. Interestingly, a lot of people that stutter don't stutter when they sing. So I was in a, a few uh, you know, musical groups and I had other uh, signs and accomplishments around me that should have, or I think should have offset that, but it didn't. It was always there. I have to ask as well as, you know, as we kind of close out our, our talk today, um, you, you have so much experience, you have so much background, um, and so many years in this field. What would you say to the future generations, the younger doctors that are just getting into medical school or into the addiction field now, what advice would you give? What insights would you share? You know, what do you wish you knew earlier in, in your addiction medicine career that you would want to kind of impart to that younger generation? I would tell them to uh, pay attention and learn about addiction 
because addiction uh, affects the entire uh, body. It affects every organ system. It affects uh, a, a person's behavior. Uh, I've learned over the uh, years that uh, the uh, common medical problems that, that we're caring for, diabetes, uh, heart disease, uh, asthma, um, almost any condition that you can think about is adversely impacted by the use of substances. And so when we have patients, uh, a, a cardiac patient who may have an arrhythmia that's uh, doing well and, and suddenly uh, is not doing well or comes out of control or comes out of remission, it may very well be a signal that there is a substance issue going on. So learning about substance use disorders and addictions, I think, uh, will make every uh, physician a better physician. Dr. Baxter, thank you for coming on and talking with us today. And thank you for sharing your story. I think a lot of people are going to be really inspired uh, by your journey. So really appreciate your time. This has been a fantastic talk. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I told you he was an inspiring guy to talk to. What an amazing story. Uh, a big thank you going out to Dr. Baxter. Uh, thank you for sharing your journey with me and our listeners. Uh, his championship rings are awesome, by the way. He was showing me his Eagles and Broncos ring before our chat today, which was super cool. Um, we've got links to Dr. Baxter's new book, I Didn't Know, uh, that just came out a few weeks ago. So check out the show notes to get your hands on a copy now. Um, if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, we want you to know that you're not alone. Treatment is available and recovery is possible. Visit the link in our show notes to access patient resources like our physician directory, patient and family support groups, and much more. And with that, my friends, we've reached the end of another episode. I sure appreciate you hanging out with us for a bit. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, share it around. Uh, really, your support means the world to us, so thank you. All right, be well, and until next time, remember, treat addiction, save lives. Save lives.